0: My entitled aunt constantly unplugs my alarm clock just to try and ruin my life and make me late for school. And after several inconveniences from her, from turning off my alarm clock to also making copies of my car keys just so she can use it whenever she wants, I decide enough is enough. And as a result, I get her arrested for grand theft auto and I ruin her teaching career. Here's what happened. So just before my senior year in high school, I turned 18 years old and bought a car with my saved up years of babysitting money. I would have liked one sooner, but my mother absolutely refused. At 18, in my big act of teenage rebellion, I went out and bought one. A couple of months later, my entitled aunt suddenly left her job from several states away and moved in with us. And she did this without her car. It cost less if she waited six months until spring to get it shipped. My aunt was incredibly cheap and a massive jerk. As a result, I was expected to share my recently acquired car with my aunt, all the way up until hers arrived. This seemed deeply unfair, but nonetheless, it was agreed upon that she could use it for appointments as well as job interviews, since I could take the school bus. I needed to be warned in advance because my bus stop was the second one of the route. It left a lot earlier than I needed to if driving direct, and I really like to get my sleep. So, as the title suggests, you might be wondering what this has to do with an alarm clock. Well, my entitled aunt is one of those people who likes to rile people up, then mock them for getting upset. always got a complaint or a harsh word and is feuding with someone over something. Once she moved in with us, her complaint was my alarm clock. My room shared a wall with hers. My alarm clock was waking up her mooching, unemployed butt up every morning, and that upset her a lot. She would constantly ask if I could just go to bed earlier, so I wouldn't need an alarm clock. The morning schedule at our house went something in the ballpark of this. At 5.30 in the morning, my mother leaves for the office, and at 5.45, my alarm goes off if I am in fact taking the bus and my alarm goes off at 6.15 if I'm driving to school with another alarm at 6.45 informing me that I need to leave if I'm driving. Eventually, later in the morning, my entitled aunt will eventually get up. She also approached my workaholic mother about the horrific inconvenience of my using an alarm clock. Her solution was that my mother should wake me up every day at 5.30 before leaving. My mother told her to try earplugs or to work it out between the two of us. My mother was was massively non-confrontational and seriously wanted no part of my aunt's dispute. So, my entitled aunt started sneaking into my room just to unplug the clock after I fell asleep. Now, I'm a hard sleeper, so she pulled this off a few times. I had a good number of tardies before I figured out it wasn't the new cat who initially got blamed for unplugging my clock. I woke up to see her standing over my bed one night, which was incredibly creepy. I screamed like a banshee, waking up the entire house. She claimed that she she was sleepwalking, and my mother let her get away with that lame excuse. So eventually, I just started sleeping with my alarm clock tucked under my pillow. There's no way my entitled aunt could do anything to it without waking me up. She was angry to have not gotten her way when she found out about this, and never let anything go ever. Her next move was to get up when the alarm clock went off and race into the bathroom with a shower. It was closer to her room than mine, so she always beat me there. She would stash magazines in there to sit on the commode, reading until right around 6.20, and this is after the school bus has left, but still before I need to leave driving direct. Once I was taking a very rush shower, she would steal my keys and take my car, even though she's unemployed, and she would do this just to drive around all day. She claimed that I just wasn't paying attention when she said that she needed the car, but in fact, she wasn't telling me that she needed the car. When my mother wasn't around, she made snide remarks that if she was woken up, she had just as much of a right to the bathroom as I did, and that I could solve this problem by not waking her up. In addition to this, she would take my car in the evenings and on weekdays, always right before I had babysitting gigs, and she never returned it with any gas in the tank. She had to call roadside assistance twice for running out of gas because she guessed wrong on how far she could get on fumes. Needless to say, with everything considered, I was incredibly upset. Also, I was being massively inconvenienced. I had to beg friends for last-minute rides or Or just take a taxi cab. She continued to blame me, and my mother stayed out of it. We got into a cat and mouse game with my keys, where I eventually just kept them on me at all times, even when I was in the shower. The keys came in the shower with me because the counter wasn't enough to stop her from pulling the bathroom lock and coming in while I was showering just to take them. Again, super creepy. This eventually resulted in her asking in advance to borrow my car for a job interview that she probably wasn't even going to in the first place. But in all actuality, she went to the key shop and got my car keys copied. The next day, with my keys safely back in my possession, she pulls the shower stunt again. She did it a lot, even when she wouldn't take my car. She was an absolute jerk. So I head out to the driveway with my keys in hand, and my car's not even there. I legit thought she had hotwired it until I got home, and it showed no signs of tampering. I'm not much for poking the bear, but it was time to have this out. My entitled aunt quite smugly admitted to copying copying the keys, called me a selfish jerk who didn't know how to share, as well as many other unfortunate things. She said that she wasn't going to give it back, and then she looked at me and said, what are you going to do about it? I then warned her that this car was mine, and she did not have permission to use it again. This was a bridge too far for me. There would be consequences, and when I said that, she just laughed in my face. The next morning, my car was not in the driveway, and you know what? I had expected that. My best friend's dad was a cop. I was practically a fixed in his household for a decade and he was the closest thing I had to a father figure due to my own deadbeat dad. So I gave him a call utterly distraught that the car I've worked so hard to get has been stolen from my driveway. He's very sympathetic. Now, did I mention that my car had LoJack? For context, LoJack is basically a system that allows you to track where your car is. It actually was a very nice car back when it was new anyways. We do all the reporting and whatever it takes for the cops to find it with LoJack. By mid-afternoon, they found it in the parking lot of an outlet mall. I don't know what the full details of the encounter was, as I've heard multiple versions of this part of the story over the years. But essentially, my aunt freaked out on them after being accused of theft, including having a tussle with one of the officers. It ended in charges of grand theft auto, resisting arrest, assaulting an officer, and some kind of license-related thing because she never switched it to her new state of residence. As this all took time, she didn't get arranged that day. And as her unemployed Self and her horrible credit, and with no money, she couldn't make bail either. As I deleted her answering machine message of her begging my mother to come bail her out, my mother didn't even notice that she was gone for almost an entire week. Once she did notice, I explained that my car had been stolen and that I called the cops. I was handling the situation myself like she suggested. The look of dawning horror was amazing. Then she shrugged and went back to avoiding all the confrontation. My entitled aunt served two weeks in county lockup until she took a plea deal. I suspect they slow walked her paperwork just a little bit. What happened afterwards was glorious revenge. My entitled aunt's remaining savings were used up on all the fines and the court fees so she finally got around to shipping her car and engaging in a job hunt. The only problem was she was previously a teacher. She had yet to get her certification in her new state and now she had a criminal record and was unable to pass the background check which is honestly her own fault so I guess it's time for a new career as a telemarketer. My entitled aunt didn't really bother me much after that. I learned years later she only went after kids hard and I had proved enough of an adult that she realized there were consequences for her actions. We spent the next few months ignoring each other before I headed to college. And that's how a dispute over an alarm clock ended up ending my entitled aunt's teaching career and basically ruining her life. Your aunt sounds awful. She sounds petty. She sounds nasty. She sounds incredibly toxic. And honestly, what you did is the only option you had left, in my opinion. I mean, she made copies of your keys, she would intentionally try and make you late for school, and it really does sound like she was trying to ruin your life. And all because you just didn't want to give in to her weird demands. So seriously, she had this coming. She sounds like she must have been a miserable teacher to deal with, and her actions and the way this all turned out is quite literally no one's fault except for hers. If you like Am I the Jerk, you're probably going to love Am I the Genius. Check it out, link down below in the description. I feel trapped and deceived by my new girlfriend as she is very clearly not over the passing of her previous boyfriend. And I feel completely stuck and I don't know what to do. So to start off with some background, I was married from 2005 to 2016. We never had any kids and it wasn't awful or anything like that and we never fought. There just wasn't anything there. It was like having a roommate. I moved across the US to start over after the divorce. I've had a couple of relationships since then, including one that seemed wholesome and promising, but fell apart suddenly in April of last year. I spent a couple of months healing and in the meantime, finished paying off the last of my debt. Between the divorce, my dad's funeral, moving expenses, my car, and a private student loan, there was a lot on my plate. Now I have some federal student loans left, but I was otherwise in a healthy spot overall. So I wanted to find a serious relationship to go forward with and jumped online for an online dating account. And that's when I met Kendra last June. Kendra is not her real name. She has a son, who's about 9 years old, and I was more than okay with that. I get along well with kids overall. Now, I'm a love language touch type of person. That doesn't mean what you might be thinking, but I do need things like hugs, snuggles, cuddling up on the couch or in the bed, random dances and kisses, holding hands, affectionate touches. You get the idea. I made it overtly clear in my profile, to the point that they opted to review it before approving it. Anyways, we had a few chats on the dating site back in June. Then we had a video chat, and then we decided to meet up for a date. Of course, needing to touch doesn't mean it's a first or second date kind of thing. That is for after a relationship is developing. So we sat and chatted and we had several of the same goals including the possibility of adding a child, which for our ages especially hers, since she's 44 years old, there's not much time to waste. We were dating with the intention of not wasting time. We had a few more dates and we would see each other every Thursday and most weekends. Plus a little bit of a chat over text messages. Things seemed to be progressing well. We went to the beach, we went to movies, we saw some Broadway shows, we went out for dinner, we held hands, we cuddled a bit, and we had our first kiss before the end of June. I did notice one thing though. She told me about three of her exes, two of which she was clearly over, and one of them by the name of Miles, that's not their real name. She did seem fond of in her description. So I said to her, you seem still really fond of this guy. Are you sure you're ready to be dating again? She wound up telling me that she hadn't broken Up, but rather, he passed away tragically two years prior. So I understood it was completely different. They had all kinds of plans, and from her telling, it had been a very good relationship. I was glad she had the experience, and I was sorry for her loss. Then she told me about how she lost the chance for a husband, and a chance for her son to have a stepdad, and stuff like that. And those are things that she really wanted. As the months went on, the relationship seemed to be going well. I met a bunch of Kendra's family in August, and she did start asking me, when I was going to be able to move in. She shared a one-bedroom apartment with her son and was in the mindset that all of us would live in a one-bedroom apartment, but it would just be temporary and that we would soon transition to something bigger. Her parents and her son's dad both had very reasonable concerns about me moving into a one-bedroom apartment with both of them included. I told her that I wasn't going to start planning a move in, at least until I met and got along with her son. So we arranged a couple of meetups and she started leaning pressure on me to move in. I was okay with that, especially given that her apartment complex had made an accommodation to let us transfer into a two-bedroom apartment without considering a broken lease. And after all, I was on board with fast-tracking a relationship, so I put notice to my previous apartment and signed lease paperwork with her to target a December move-in. I would first help her move her stuff, since it was within the same apartment complex, and then move my stuff from a town 40 minutes away. One of the first massive red flags came up before I moved in, but after I had already signed onto the lease. Considering her age, she got the idea that we should try an IVF and then asked me how much room I have on my credit cards. So I told her that I would be supportive of her going on progesterone, but that wasn't an appropriate question. An IVF was not in my budget at this time. And for a bit of context, an IVF is basically a procedure to help someone get pregnant. That's the most basic way of explaining it. Once I got signed onto the lease, things started changing though. She was talking about Miles constantly. One night when we were together, I told her that I loved her and she couldn't say it back. Okay, you can't force that. But when we spent Thanksgiving with her family, she talked about Miles with people the entire time. It's worth mentioning that over the summer, Kendra witnessed a court trial related to the circumstances of Miles passing. And Thanksgiving was the first time since then that she had a chance to catch up with a lot of people about the goings on. So in a way, I understood where she was coming from. But I also felt invisible. And then she did the same thing at Christmas as well. She talked about him the entire time. One of her relatives said, I heard you're in love. And she replied by saying, well, not quite there yet. Now, it's one thing to need time to get there, but to spend the entire time talking about Miles and then say, by the way, this is my boyfriend. I don't love him yet. He's just moving in, though. Does not feel good to me. I mean, how does that make me look to her family? By the end of December, I had finished moving in and other things had changed as well. She stopped wanting me to touch her, or hug her, or sit next to her on the couch, or even to hold her hand. She's just not that into touch, which is fine. But if that's the case, then she shouldn't go after someone who's made it very clear that this is something that's very important to them. It's also hard to talk to her sometimes because her text responses are very staccato. Now, I'm a texter, whereas she's an in-person talker, and that's fine. But in person, she's always got her earbuds in, or otherwise buried in entertainment media. She's constantly engrossed in it, and there's no room to get close to her. The only time she was talking to me, she started talking about Miles. Every little thing we did together had a Miles story attached to it. She also had a shrine to him in the dining room, which she was using as a home office, a stand with his work helmet, and multiple mementos and pictures of him. I was fine with this at first. She's allowed to have mementos, but she just remained hyper-focused on him and it honestly started to bother me. She also stopped sleeping in the same room as me. Every night she gets out of of bed and goes to sleep on the couch. I'm not even allowed to snore or anything like that, but she said she's just a light sleeper. She doesn't cuddle me in bed or touch me otherwise. She just curls over, then eventually gets out of bed and goes to sleep on the couch. She has told me that she wants to be engaged on the beach, but I later found out that was her plan with Miles and she wanted to recreate it. I couldn't get through to her in person. I couldn't talk to her for more than a few seconds before she wanted to go back to Instagram or reality TV or or whatever she was doing. So I wrote her an email. I said to her, I appreciate Miles. I like Miles, but I need you to tone down talking about him so much. It's been constant. And I also explained how I felt about the Christmas incident and told her that I had a need for physical touch. I ended it by saying, I'm not going to watch my life go by while you're wishing I was Miles. She told me that she would tone it down and spend more time cuddling with me and bought me a case of Perrier, which I do like, just to say sorry. Except it only, Only lasted a couple of days. She was right back to talking about Miles regularly, and nothing had changed about her sleeping habits. I decided to see if I could be happier trying to get used to it. But just a couple of weeks ago, I got home from work, and she was on the phone with her parents, and I overheard her saying that she was bummed out that she had made plans to go visit Miles' father for Memorial Day weekend, but he declined her. Apparently, Miles' dad told her something like Look, we're grateful for you loving our son, but we're trying to move on. If we are ever out your way, maybe we will be in touch. She was going to plan to go spend a holiday weekend with Miles' family without even talking to me about it first. I wanted to confront her, but her son was home and she was still on the phone with her parents. So I asked her son if he needed anything and he said he was good. So I told him I had to do something and would be back later and I ended up leaving. I later texted Kendra and I said to her, I headed out and I'm not sure if I can come home tonight. You were going to plan going away for the holiday weekend? with Miles' family without even talking to me about it first. I think I need a little bit of space tonight. I have some thinking to do. She texted me back that she already knew that Miles' dad would say no and only made the call because her son asked if they could visit. And I'm honestly not sure if I believe that. We had some back and forth via text message and I said you're still hung up on Miles. You have a shrine to him in the dining room but you don't have any pictures of us together. You told me that you were closing the chapter and ready for new relationship, but I don't feel like that's true. You're barely affectionate. You're not letting me be a partner to you. And your profile said, feed me, but you won't let me cook for you or eat anything I make. And you should have talked to me before trying to make holiday plans with Miles' family. Now, there are so many more examples I could provide about how Kendra is not letting me be the boyfriend that she needs me to be. So honestly, I don't know what to do. Do I have a talk with her and say it isn't working out and that we need to figure out how to coexist as roommates? Until the the lease is up. Do I take out a loan and just move out and pay my half of the lease to the leasing office? It's all so confusing, and I honestly don't know what to do. This story legitimately is crazy because there are still so many details here that the original poster provides that basically proves that no, Kendra absolutely has not moved on from Miles. She still very much misses him, and she wishes that he was basically still alive. And it's not fair for the original poster in the slightest. I mean, imagine that you finally find a girlfriend that you're coming comfortable with and you finally find someone that you can move in with and possibly start a life with. And she pulls a fast one on you and basically only talks about her ex constantly. Like that must be miserable to deal with on a daily basis. Not to mention the fact that she's completely ignoring this original poster's needs. She is absolutely disregarding his feelings in this regard and it's not fair for him in the slightest. He basically got tricked into a relationship with someone who very clearly was not ready to have a relationship. And that is seriously not okay for this guy. Throughout this entire story, he keeps describing his needs to Kendra, but she keeps ignoring it and basically pushing it aside, only focusing on Miles, and that's not fair for the original poster in the slightest. So I think a good hard look at this relationship and thinking about yourself first really would be the best thing for you, because based on what you've described, she clearly does not love you in the way that you would want her to, and you honestly deserve way better than that. Thanks for watching. When you subscribe, make sure to hit the bell to turn on notifications so